Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey everybody, it's a hump day, home and home. Lots to get to on this day. The appeal for Miles Garrett will be heard. We're not even a week out from the helmet situation between the Browns and Steelers, and yet we're only about a week out from these two teams meeting again a week from Sunday. That should be fun. And another tease about Colin Kaepernick's future. His attorney says there are two teams interested, and he teases who one of them might be. Homeandhomeradio.com Sports Original. We are brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Check out ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. Again, folks, trust us, the smartest way to hire. Big show for you, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Pete Thamel, Yahoo Sports, will tell us how agonizing this decision could be for Tua Tugavailoa. Could he go back to college as a way of not losing that $25 million guaranteed dollars? Or is going late in the first round the best thing that happened to his career? And the highlight of my day comes at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time when a Bengals fan who has been living on his bar's roof until they win will join us. And he's going to stay up there until they win. So what if they go 0-16? Is my brother spending the offseason on the Hog Rock Cafe roof in his man cave? Oh, we can't wait to talk to Jeff Lanham. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut, Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania. And we're going to start with what we call today our bad behavior block, because there's a lot of it, both in recent sports history and on an anniversary that we reached yesterday. We start with what happens today, and that's the appeal being heard from Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns, suspended six plus games, an indefinite suspension. I don't understand what the point of this appeal in person in New York is, given that Roger Goodell told Gary Myers this earlier this week. Listen. When you suspend Garrett indefinitely, does that basically mean after the season you'll, you'll review the situation, decide any future punishment and fines? Yeah, he will not play the rest of the season. Um, he uh, will probably meet with us sometime in the offseason. And I think we'll make a judgment on, you know, does he have remorse? Does he understand why it's not acceptable? Do we understand what he's going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again? Um, I think those are the things that are going to be very important for us. Because I, my experience with discipline with, um, with players and other personnel is if they get it, if they understand that they made a mistake and they accept that and then say, you know, I'm committed to, to changing, you're usually on a good path. The ones that you don't are the ones that sort of say, mm, there was nothing wrong with what I did. Now, I don't know whether he feels that way or he doesn't, but we'll find out. All right. That's Roger Goodell, NFL commissioner with, James, uh, with uh, Gary Myers, OTG. James Thrash, the former wide receiver you all remember, will hear the appeal 
but he's got to be like, yo, Kamish, you just said he will not play the rest of the season. Ross, what's the point of this trip to New York and appeal? Maybe he's going to go shopping, check out Times Square. I don't know. Central Park is nice this time of year. You know, it's a good question, Dave. Good morning. And a couple thoughts. Number one, I think he wants to remove the indefinite aspect of it. I think he wants it to be a hard and fast six games or whatever it is. He doesn't like the indefinite that's lurking. Uh, There's some debate as to whether or not you're even allowed to say indefinite as opposed to giving some type of defined time frame. Although, like, I don't know. What if they're like, okay, you're right. It's 12 games. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly what he wants. You might want to be careful what he asked for. Um, he's definitely not playing this year. I don't even think he thinks he is. To Goodell's point, I do think that Miles Garrett is remorseful. He was remorseful right afterwards. He know he knew he did wrong. He knew it, he was going to be suspended for it. He said he lost his cool. I think he does get it, to, to Goodell's point. I think he does get it. Now, he might point out that maybe Rudolph hit him in a place where no man should ever be hit. I've heard some speculation of that. He might point out the fact that he wouldn't have been suspended at all if Rudolph didn't run over at him. And that he wouldn't have taken Rudolph's helmet off if Rudolph didn't try to take his helmet off. So I'm sure he's got things he can say, Dave. But none of that is going to reduce his suspension to the point where he plays football this year. I'd be very surprised if James Thrash, a former teammate of mine in 2007 with the Redskins, would somehow let him play again this year. Maybe they'll remove the indefinite nature Maybe they'll say he's suspended for the rest of this 2019 season. And if that's the case, I guess I would say, was it even worth it to Miles Garrett to fly out to New York? Because I think that's probably what the NFL was going to do anyway in the offseason. They just wanted it to sound worse than suspended for the rest of the season when they initially levied it. Suspended indefinitely sounds worse than suspended for six games. It's going to be fun when these two teams meet again in just about 10 days, a week from Sunday, especially given what you talked about. There's some insinuation that Mason Rudolph and some video and some photos that make it look like he got Garrett in the junk. Here's what the head coach, Mike Tomlin, had to say about who did or did not start the whole fracas. You know, it was ugly. It was ugly for the game of football. I think all of us that are involved in the game, particularly at this level, um, want to safeguard and protect the game, its integrity. Um, and in that instance, it was compromised, obviously, uh, with an unfortunate incident. And so none of us want those things to transpire. It did. Uh, we were a part of it. Uh, we accept responsibility for our actions within it. Um, you know, I won't have a lot to say in great detail regarding it. We have some people going through appeals and so forth, and I don't want to jeopardize that in any way. At the end of the game, accept the responsibility, nothing to learn from it. What can you do or what can other coaches in the league do to prevent it from happening again? Um, I don't know. you got to ask those guys. Yourself. You know, I don't know that we did anything to make it happen anyway in the first place. That's why I said that we didn't have anything to learn from it. 
Ah, now the truth comes out. I don't think we had anything to do with what started it. Here's what the Browns' Sheldon Richardson said regarding Mason Rudolph, the Steelers' quarterback. Can't antagonize a fight and then claim bullying. You get what's coming to you. He says Garrett was protecting himself. Guy keeps rushing me even with the helmet off. He's asking for it. Just leave it at that. Was Mason Rudolph asking for it? Um, I don't think he was asking for it, but I understand Sheldon Richardson's mindset as a defensive lineman. You know, first of all, defensive linemen hate quarterbacks, okay? Second of all, <laughs> defensive linemen are bigger, meaner, more physical human beings than quarterbacks. And so yeah. I think on some level, their thought process is, don't don't try to rip my helmet off. Don't try to hit me where a man should never be hit. Like if you come, you know, trying to trying to take on a bully, you're you're gonna lose. And on some level, Dave, I I understand that. I mean, Mason Rudolph, look, he's a big guy. He's 235 pounds, and he didn't take too kindly. To Miles Garrett, I guess, driving him into the ground when it's 21-7 with eight seconds left, to which I would say, well, then if you're the Steelers, don't call that play. And if you're Mason Rudolph, don't hold on to the ball to the point where Miles Garrett gets close enough to be able to get a legal hit on you. You know, I mean, I think there's culpability both ways here, Dave. I don't think the Steelers, you know, they, Mason Rudolph can't get that upset about Miles Garrett finishing that play like he's taught to do when the Steelers are the ones down two touchdowns with eight seconds left calling that play. Now, we can go back and evaluate it like it's the Zapruder film, Dave, um, and see frame by frame, did Garrett give him the business a little bit too much? And then did Mason Rudolph, you know, grab his junk or whatever? Or did Mason Rudolph go ahead? Mason Rudolph clearly was trying to get Garrett's helmet off. And yeah. then clearly when Garrett took his helmet off, Mason Rudolph ran over to Garrett. To which I would say, the one thing I think, the more I think about this, I guess if I have one take, Dave, that is unique in terms of what the punishment's been, I think Mason Rudolph probably should have been suspended a game. You know, if Larry Joby was suspended a game for coming up behind Rudolph and hitting him in the back, which was a cheap shot and cowardly from Joby. then Rudolph probably deserves a game for trying to rip Garrett's helmet off for whatever else happened in the pile. And then for when Garrett was having two offensive linemen hold him back, going over and continuing it, continuing the fracas. Rudolph went over let me just tell you, okay, because I've been in this situation multiple times. little advice for anybody out there that plays the sport of football. Once your helmet's off, it's over, bro. Get out of there. It's over. Oh, I'm out. I mean, don't run over to the guy that's holding your helmet when you have no helmet on. When, when your helmet's off, and I know you're not thinking clearly, but... That's it. It's a wrap. It's over. Be like, uh, yep, yeah, I'm done. I'm out of here. My helmet's off. No, thank you. 
So I think Rudolph should have been suspended a game. Now, based on how poorly he played, maybe the Browns begged that he wasn't suspended a game. Maybe the <laughs> Browns said, no, we don't want we want him to play. Don't suspend Rudolph. Please keep him on the field for their next game against the Bengals. Uh, because he obviously did not play very well at all that night. So I don't know if a suspension really helps the Browns. I think that you could argue it maybe it even hurts the Steelers, but I do think at least a one-game suspension for Mason Rudolph was warranted when you compare and contrast it to Ogan Joby. Or really, for that matter, oh, okay. even Marquise Pouncey getting three games. If Pouncey gets three games, Rudolph should get one. No, no, no. Okay, a couple of things. I, I do not think Mason Rudolph should be suspended at all. Maybe fine. Everything he did happens in the normal confines of most scuffles, and suspending a starting quarterback should be a far higher burden than what we no, saw on that no, football no, field. No, no, no question no, about it. No, Hang no, on. No, I'm no, not no, done. No, no, I'm no. not done. Have have you come to your your senses yet about Marquise Pouncey? Because when we started this whole discussion, you said he should not be suspended, that he was having his boys back. I hope you've had a chance to go back to the video and realize you were dead wrong about that, that Marquise Pouncey was kicking dudes on the ground. That is not how anyone should have my back or anyone else's back. He deserved every bit of that suspension. I, I'll go ahead and accept your apology now. No, no apology. Um, I think the kicking is probably a bad look. I would say a one-game suspension for Pouncey equal to the cowardly shot in the back that Ogan Joby gave Rudolph. But three games? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, look, I don't think you'll find a single football player that doesn't think that Marquise Pouncey did the right thing. Kicking... Never really a good look. It looks bad when you're kicking a guy, but on he the got ground. Point. What's that? Kicking a guy who was laying on the ground. I can't think of anything less manly than that when you're supposed to have somebody's back, dude. That's how he was bitches kicking fight. him on the. He was kicking him on the ground because he was on the ground, and he oh. was kicking him on the ground because he just hit his quarterback in the head with a helmet. Oh. This is like. This is this is like this is my favorite, okay? This is my favorite. This is what people say when and, and Dave, I'm not I'm not let, let me just preface this, okay? Have you ever been in a fight? Yeah, sort of. I mean, not, okay. nothing that, like that's this, a no. Man. That that's nothing a no like and that's okay. Minor minor scuffles uh that Yeah, that, that's that's a, that's a no and that's okay. Most yeah. people have not. That's okay. But my point is with both Miles Garrett and with Marquise Pouncey, it went past a football thing. It went yeah. past a football scuffle. And it went to a straight street fight. And Garrett was out of his mind when he swung his helmet and hit Rudolph, Rudolph's helmet. And Pouncey... That triggered something very real and very raw for Pouncey, where it was no longer it was no longer the rules and decorum of what should go on inside the white lines of a football field. It was this is different now. You 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 just like for all Pouncey knows at that point, Mason Rudolph's dead. Okay, for all Pouncey knows, 
Mason Rudolph's lying on the field dead after all he saw was Garrett hit his quarterback in the helm in the head with a helmet. It's over then. It's over. Like at that point, it's not football. It goes beyond football. And you you try to throw the guy down, punch him, kick him. I don't care. You keep hitting that guy until they pull you off of him. That's what happens in a fight. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with pushing, hitting, all that. It was just the kicking a dude on the ground where where it just went beyond the pale to me. As a quarterback kind of guy, soft, okay, pretty, whatever, I don't want my boy kicking somebody on the ground to have my back. But Miles Garrett. Your, your whole quarterback thing, speaking yeah. of pretty boy quarterback, okay? Yeah. yeah. That is one of the worst things you've said on the show. That, that, that there, there should be a higher you, standard? Oh, absolutely there should. Oh, my. What are you talking about? A Dude, higher standard? It's the most for a important to be position in other players? It's the most important position on the football field. Who gives field. a it's shit? The, Who gives a shit? It's about the act I'll, itself. I'll tell you it's who does. It's about the act. Roger Goodell, the television networks. I'll tell you who cares. The dollars. And oh the my sense. God. Good point. Good point. For the most Nobody's important watching on the Steelers Bengals if Mason Rudolph's not in that game. Nobody. The difference between Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges, I would rather watch Duck Hodges. He's got a cool nickname. His name's Duck. He's got a funny story. I think Duck Hodges is better for the ratings. That is ludicrous. You discipline the act. You don't base the discipline on the position they play, how much money they make, uh, how how well-regarded they are. So you're telling me that if Mason Rudolph hit Miles Garrett with the helmet, you don't think Mason Rudolph should be suspended for the rest of the year? No. Oh my gosh. I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. You 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 elitist Connecticut. Ugh. Yeah. Gross. Dude, Suck you're on, on it. CNN. Dude, you're on you're CNN. Just a big Aren't you supposed to be like fair and balanced or whatever bullshit? Aren't you supposed no. to be fair and balanced? How is that if fair and that balanced? Part? It's not. I'm a, you're just a big ugly. You're just envious of the quarterback attention. You just wish you could throw the damn football better. Dude, by the way, middle school, backyard <laughs> oh, football. God. Here we go. I had a gift. I had a gift. And if it wasn't for oh. Judd Meinhart going through puberty when we were in fifth grade and being 5'11", 165 pounds, when I was 5'2 and chubby, I would have been quarterback. I would have been this high school quarterback. And I would have had my glory. And I never would have made the NFL. So thank God Judd Meinhart went through puberty in fifth grade and was six inches taller than the rest of us and way more athletic and way better than I was at quarterback. Thank God. All, all you guys in the trenches hate the quarterback. Just admit it, man. You're all envious. You're all anti-quarterback. Truth be told, Miles Garrett could be in bigger trouble. We talked about in the initial aftermath how a couple of lawyers told me that there is total protection for U.S. athletes when they're inside sports stadiums, that they cannot be subject to criminal charges. Well, we talked to Darren Heitner, sports attorney, attorney for Antonio Brown, amongst others, 
about that fact. Here's what he said. Uh, Darren, I want to ask you about the situation surrounding Miles Garrett. A lot of questions after he swung that helmet, Miles uh, Mason Rudolph's helmet, if he could be charged with a crime. Why is he protected from that? And could Mason Rudolph sue in civil court? So first of all, I do not believe that he is shielded from any sort of criminal activity. If the prosecutor wanted to take a case against Miles Garrett, he or she could. Um, my belief is that Miles Garrett took a, what is normally used as a helmet, turned it into a weapon, and at least attempted to cause severe damage uh, to Mason Rudolph. And there's no place for that within the game whatsoever. And, and I would argue that it's so out, outside the scope of what is expected in an NFL game that it would not be a, any sort of protected act. Now, the likelihood of a prosecutor taking this on and, and formally filing charges against Miles Garrett, I believe, was slim. Oftentimes, you look to the individual who was harmed in the situation and whether or not that individual files a police report and seeks to um, cause a prosecutor to take action. And here it does not appear that Mason Rudolph is interested in that whatsoever. And just based on precedent alone, it's very rare for a prosecutor to take action for acts that occur within a game. Um, again, it's not to say that it's impossible, but it's unlikely. Sports attorney Darren Heitner on the possibility that there is in the criminal charges facing Miles Garrett cannot be. One thing I think we do agree on, there ought to be protections for athletes in sports stadiums. I like that going forward. I don't know if what happens in Canada is good for sports. Guys do lose their minds. That's part of the reason professional athletes are in that arena. It is a, a, a just a different uh, place altogether. So speaking of losing your mind in a sports arena and having protections or not, yesterday was the anniversary of the malice at the palace, the brawl between the Pistons and the Pacers. It, it, it is one of the moments that changed sports as we know it. Two minutes that changed everything for the NBA and the interaction between fans and players. If you don't, for some reason, remember it, that's when Ron Artest went up. Uh, and Ben Wallace, I think forever, I will always have Ron Artest in my head as the man who started the malice at the palace. But Ross, I went back, I watched it all yesterday, and I was reminded that this was all Ben Wallace. If it weren't for Ben Wallace 15 years ago yesterday, we would not have the malice at the palace and the Pistons organization forever might be viewed differently as we know it today. You know, it's funny, Dave. I distinctly remember that and where I was watching it. It was 2004. I was playing for the Buffalo Bills. I think it happened on a Friday night because I remember Saturday's kind of a light day. For NFL players, you're just kind of, you have meetings and then you're waiting for a walkthrough and then you go to the hotel or whatever. And I remember being in the players lounge before the team meeting and all of our eyes were absolutely glued to the TV. 
because it was something that none of us had really ever seen before. And uh, I remember the reaction was really interesting because several of the guys were like, oh my gosh, that is awful. That's bad. But several of the guys were like, that's good. That's what they should get. That, that they need to learn. That's what should happen to the fans if they're going to throw a cup or something at a guy. And I got to tell you, Dave, I don't think it was a good thing. I don't think the malice in the palace is a good thing. It's an ugly incident. But I will submit to you this. I don't think in the long run, it's the worst thing in the world if every 15 to 20 years or so, there is a not-so-gentle reminder to all of the people in the seats that the people in the arena, the people on the court or the field, that they are real people and that there could possibly be repercussions for you if you overstep your bounds. Because I feel like you start to get closer with people saying things about people's family. You see people throwing beers or whatever down on people. You start to get to a point where it again crosses from booing, criticizing the things that professional athletes should expect to a different line that becomes unacceptable. And I think people forget about that line. I think people go over that line. And I don't think it's the worst thing in the big scheme of things if every 15 to 20 years or so, there's a reminder to those people hey, uh, those are still big, strong human beings, and maybe we're not as protected as we think we are, and maybe we should keep that in mind before we say something inappropriate or throw something at this person. Interesting point, because it was, I believe, 15 years, I'm going to have to look up the date now, before that, that hockey fans might remember... Mike Milbury, Boston Bruin, up in the stands. Uh, another athlete fan uh, interaction fight. So maybe we do need a reminder. So that makes us feel like we might be due another reminder. I think that the fan's name that day, the Malice and Palace 15 years ago in Auburn Hills, Detroit, was Pat Green, I believe, or Mike Green, that threw that cup at Ron Artest when he was laying down on the scorer's table. He goes up, starts beating people down. Steven Jackson throwing haymakers. Ron Artest gets a 73-game suspension rest of season. Fans came on the court after he came back down. More punches were exchanged both ways. Easily the ugliest incident uh, between an athlete and fans in history, but we might have to revisit that 1979 Boston Bruins incident. Maybe we can get Mike Milbury on the program. Not entirely sure he still wants to talk about it, but he will forever be reminded of that incident. So maybe there's a, a moment coming between athletes and the way fans treat them and the protection fans think they have. And we'll talk about how that plays into college football in just a minute, Ross. Yeah, I think that's well said, Dave. But first, hiring can be a challenge. As Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered, she needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. 
She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. That's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Ross, thank you for jogging my memory about that Mike Milbury incident. It was 1979 in Milbury. Boston Bruin got a hold of a fan shoe who was already involved in a scuffle <laughs> and hit that fan with his shoe. What a beautiful incident that is reminiscent of the malice at the palace. Which is better? And what is your favorite brawl in sports history? We'll dive more into that later in the program because we could talk about that for hours as we could about Tua Tugavailoa, the Alabama quarterback whose Bama career is over, maybe. Could he come back to college and try to recoup that $25 million guaranteed that comes with being the top pick in the NFL draft? Or could the injury be beneficial 10 years from now for his NFL career? We'll talk to Pete Thamel, Yahoo Sports, about all that after a quick break. Devastating hip injury ended Tua Tagovailoa's Alabama career prematurely, or did it? It cost him $25 million guaranteed dollars being number one pick in the draft, or did it? Strange situation right now for the Alabama quarterback, one of the greats of our generation. Boy, just a legend for the Crimson Tide. So now the situation is this. He's got six months to heal, to rehab, before he can even resume football activities that takes it past the NFL draft. A really interesting discussion with Mike Francesa and Dr. Steve O'Brien on the specific Tua injury, the surgery, the risks that are entailed from here to the next year or two. Gives you some interesting perspective about the long road that lies ahead. A reminder, you can listen to Mike Francesa on the radio.com app anytime on demand. Here now, Dr. Steve O'Brien on Tua's situation. Bo Jackson, to the best of my memory, did not dislocate. We report on eight NFL players who subluxed and broke that back wall. Two out of the eight never made it back, 25%. Now, there's no big studies and big numbers on this because it doesn't happen very often. What, what about the posterior wall fracture? Is that a problem? It's not a big problem. The problem is from the injury. Now, you have to be able to make the socket conform to the ball, and that's what the surgery does. So the forces will be more even. But there's two things that can happen. One, and this is more common in black athletes, they get what's called chondrolysis. Do you remember George Adams, who was a running back yes. for us with the Giants? Sure, okay. yeah, it was Adams who was on the Jets' father. 
Right. Yeah. So George had this type of injury and put it back right away, the whole 10 yards. He went on to dissolve the surface over his hip. It's called chondrolysis. And African-Americans are more likely to get this. And I don't know if two is going to be in that bucket, but chondrolysis, even if you treat it perfectly, a certain amount can get that. And then the other thing is uh, people can lose the blood supply to the head for shorter periods of time and still get what's called avascular necrosis or dead bone. So two things, chondrolysis, which means the surface disappears, or two, sufficient parts of the bone, if they lose their blood supply for length of time, can go bad. Now, I'm going to bring this and land the plane. Six months. Six months? We will, six months only will we know. In other words, he's going, to be, he's going to take a year to rehab, but we may not know for six months. So he's months. not ready for the draft next year? No, okay. I would not. Okay. I, think, I think if you're going to make him back into a player, it's going to be two years, and I'll tell you why. Six months to a year to rehab from the initial thing or, or to make sure he doesn't have avascular necrosis or chondrolysis, and then probably another year to prove that he's going to be agile. Doc, if now, you, I, I, could, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, Mike. It could be one year, but it's not going to be this spring. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast so it is a long road ahead for Tua Tagovailoa and that was Dr. Steve O'Brien talking to Mike Francesa check him out anytime on the radio.com app it is a devastating injury could it have a silver lining. Let's talk about it with Pete Thamel, Yahoo Sports. He's been all over this story, writing about it on Yahoo Sports. Pete, good to see you. Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. Look, it's just a devastating injury for Tua Tagovailoa. The interesting silver lining, if you will, that could come of this is if Tua falls late in the first round and goes to, say, New England or a situation that is perfectly suited for waiting a year or even two and then stepping into a perfect situation 
What do you think he does at this point? Does he go back to Alabama? Well, he has two months to decide on the conventional draft, as we know. January 20th is that draft deadline. And I think that the difficulty in projecting what Tua will do and where NFL teams could pick him, guys, is we will not be able to see him throw slash workout slash run at full speed by the time the draft occurs. So the draft's April 25th. I was, I've been told that there's at least going to be a six-month minimum recovery here. And then there's like a slow, gradual build back to doing all those things. And so an NFL team is going to have to take some kind of leap of faith. And a, a lot of that is going to be dug into like a, a level of medical nuance that, that we can't really express right now because we don't know what the medicals are going to look like. But the tricky part here is that the decision for the draft has to come then. Now, he could enter the supplemental draft technically – but that's a bad business decision, too, because by the time a supplemental draft happens, people already either have drafted a quarterback or signed a quarterback. Nobody's going to have a quarterback situation in flux in uh, the summer uh, when when the supplemental draft happens. So that doesn't appear a likely option. The financial reality of what Tua is looking at is this. Say his floor was as the fifth pick in the draft. And let's just say, hypothetically, I had an NFL executive tell me he'd be a late first rounder. Um, with the injury questions. So say he goes to the 25th pick in the draft. That's a $17 million difference. The difference between the first pick and the 32nd pick is a $25 million difference. So there's an argument that says, if you wait a year and can reestablish yourself as that top five pick, you get that, you know, you get that bigger, uh, bigger amount of money to start your career. Um, now, the argument to that is if there's supreme confidence, he's going to be healthy. Now, again, you're talking about guys who had three surgeries in the last two years. But if you're supremely confident he's going to be healthy and be an all-pro, the argument on waiting a year is you're then delaying your big contract, You know, the one we're about to see like Dak Prescott get right now, for example. You're delaying that contract for a year by doing it. So there's a, there's a, there's a compelling risk-reward case, but I had another executive bring up Lamar Jackson to me. Um, he ended up falling in the draft, but he ended up in a perfect place. And obviously, he's taking the NFL by storm right now. But there is no clear linear path to Tua Tungvaloa's next decision. And uh, there's a lot of uncertainty about what may follow. And Pete, just to clarify, because I hadn't thought of this until I read your outstanding story at Yahoo. You're not suggesting that he goes back to Alabama and plays another year. You're just suggesting that he does not enter the NFL draft this year, stays at Alabama, rehabs, and then enters the NFL draft next year, totally healthy, rehabbed, working out for every team, showing he's good, all of that stuff, but not actually going back out there for the Crimson Tide, correct? Correct. There's very little expectation if he did sit that he would actually play. He has shown plenty. Um, he's 22-2 and two as a starter, and that would obviously further expose him to risk of injury, which is the issue in the issue in the first place. Now, I can't say there's 0% chance of that happening, but it would be I would consider it highly, highly unlikely. Now, if he did stick around and he did work out in Tuscaloosa, where his family lives in the area, his brother is a player, and they have world-class rehab training and it's a place that he's comfortable, that would not be surprising. And yes... He would want to be in position to have 
I would say this decade's second most famous quarterback workout and have all the teams come and see where he is. And if he looks like the Tua that teams liked as a top five pick, there's a there's a chance that he may come. The, the other factor here, Ross, that I think is really interesting is like I write this story uh, Monday night, the one you referenced for Yahoo, and then I sit down to watch the end of Monday night football and you watch Philip Rivers throw 11 interceptions. Actually, it was four, but it just felt like 11 because <laughs> they were so bad. And it just underscored to me like I'm like, did I underestimate how quarterback desperate these NFL teams are? Because, I mean, we, we could rattle them off the tops of our heads right now, but you have San Diego, you have New Orleans, and you have New England with quarterbacks in the twilight. And then you just have the other half dozen teams that have rancid, unproductive, bad quarterbacks with dissatisfied fan bases that need hope. Um, Woody actually slide all the way to the end of the first round when you've got Mitch Trubisky out there uh, as like a sort of walking disaster. And you have big quarterback holes in Cincinnati. And forgive me, I don't cover the NFL, but I would think Jacksonville, I would think Charlotte potentially. Like, there's, you know, there's a, there are, there is a glaring need for high-end quarterbacks, and, and Tua has certainly proven himself as a high-end quarterback prospect. So it, there's myriad variables here that are going to be guiding this decision, and there's good arguments for, you know, to enter and maybe redshirt a year if the injury is that serious. Get with a team, get with a program, get get in line with your doctors, and maybe take a financial hit up front, or come back and then it's Tua and Trevor in 2021. Yeah, I was just going to say, Pete, I think you just framed it perfectly because I was going to say he's essentially deciding whether or not, um, you know, he rehabs for a year. Let's just say that's a $25 million decision. The difference between going 32 this year, let's say, or number one the following year, $25 million fully guaranteed, I might add, yeah. versus getting the money now a year earlier, it's still $10 million over $10 million guaranteed. And starting the clock for hopefully three years from then, getting the contract that at that point will be $40 million a year. So it really comes down to his level of confidence that he will be able to stay healthy and play at a high level in the NFL. And, man, I don't know. That seems like a pretty pretty risky uh, situation at this point based on his only two years of college football. Yeah, it, it, Ross, it's a high-stakes gamble any, any way you look at it. And uh, you, you can stand on the table for, uh, for either argument. Um, you know, would teams respect the fact that he's gambling on himself coming out this year? Uh, yes. Are teams petrified of drafting a lemon? Yes. Like, look, there, there's one thing if you draft a, a, a lot, you know, if you draft Jalen Smith in the second round and even Todd Gurley, like, look how that is, like, starting to haunt them out in LA as you know, as his, as his knee becomes more and more of a factor, he was, he was coming off an ACL and he was, you know, everyone's like boogeymaned out by him and he was the 10th or 11th pick in the draft. So, uh, and Jalen Smith has been a wonderful gamble uh, for the Cowboys. Uh, they got a franchise cornerstone, a top five talent in the second round, but he had to redshirt a year and there was significant risk. And that's what a lot of this comes down to, of course, is, is risk reward, and it would be one of the higher risk reward injury plays in the history of the NFL draft. Talking to Pete Dammel, Yahoo Sports. Check out his college sports Yahoo podcast with Dan Wetzel and Pat Forty. Trader went over to Sports Illustrated. We still love him. Well, college <laughs> football playoff came out last night. No change up top: LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Bama. 
I still think Bama gets in the playoff. Tell me why I'm wrong. I, I think you're wrong because I, I think they're they're going to go to Auburn and struggle, and I think they would have struggled to get in the playoff with a healthy Tua because they have a terrible resume, and they will have one top 25 win when the season ends, and that will be at four loss Auburn. And I feel like the momentum of not playing championship weekend is something that should not be underestimated in this situation, Dave. So they can go and they can beat Auburn. They're not going to beat them by 40. Auburn's defense is too good. And Mac Jones is too pedestrian at this stage in his career. So they can go and beat Auburn. And then they're going to have to wait for a handful of conference championship games to play out. Now, is this Oklahoma scoring 50 and building the momentum from that game? Is this Oregon beating Utah? Is it Utah beating Oregon? Um, which I feel like Utah is probably the least discussed national uh, national title contender out there. Um, I feel like not having to uh, combine with not having a conference championship, which is which is one of the key tenets if you look at the uh, at the criteria of the uh, college football playoff committee, and uh, and then not having a showcase that final weekend will uh, end up dooming the tide. So who gets in then? Because LSU, in my estimation, blows out Georgia when they meet. Who's the fourth team? See, I don't think LSU blows out Georgia. Georgia has the best okay. defense in the SEC, and LSU's defense gave up 400 yards rushing to Ole Miss this weekend. LSU still has some flaws. Joe Burrow has covered them. So uh, I, I do feel like I right now you'd have to think LSU beats Georgia, but I don't think it's I don't think it's a blowout if. If Georgia upsets LSU, which I think is completely realistic, I mean, Georgia's an excellent high-end football team and has been, this is the third consecutive year that they've been one of the six best teams in college football consistently. And Jake Fromm is capable of, of going into Atlanta and winning a big game. So it actually could be quite simple if Georgia beats LSU because Georgia simply moves up to the two or the three spot. LSU slides down with the loss somewhere. They'd probably avoid the rematch. And then you'd have who we are assuming are the undefeated champions of the Big Ten and the SEC. Um, if Georgia does lose, then it's that mad scramble for 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 number four. And there's seven one-loss teams right now who'd have some kind of argument to uh, to to win out and get up there. Pete, it's interesting because I, I'm more interested in like a little bit lower down the line and what it says about the college football playoff. I'm seeing all this outrage about Penn State being ahead of Minnesota. I'm not sure I quite understand that. I, I know that Minnesota just beat Penn State. Penn State was at, you know, the two-yard line on a at Minnesota one-score game. Penn State probably played their worst game of the year. They definitely did. Minnesota played their best. I, I'm okay with that. Penn State's beat Michigan. Penn State's beaten Iowa. My issue would be, why are Oregon and Utah ahead of Penn State? I mean, Oregon and Utah don't have any wins over teams in the top 25 for the college football playoff. Penn State has two over teams in the top 17, plus the losses for Oregon and Utah, USC and Auburn. They don't really look all that great. Penn State's loss at Minnesota, I think, is actually a pretty good loss. So explain to me why Penn State's not ahead of Oregon or Utah other than just, well, they lost earlier. Penn State lost more recently. 
Well, Oregon now does have a top twenty-five win because USC uh, is twenty-third in the in the latest uh, in the latest poll there. So, it, which is too bad because I'd written that like fifteen times over the last three weeks. I was a little disappointed when I saw the Trojans pop up because it just made these wonderfully flawed arguments. Um, the good thing, Ross, is I could try to like sort of like channel the brain energy of the committee about Penn State there, but Penn State's going to play Ohio State this weekend. If they win, they're going to rock it up probably in the top four. If they lose, they're going to go way behind the one-loss team. So the good thing about like this FA outrage and the, trying to rationalize these imperfect arguments is that next Tuesday or Saturday by midnight, those arguments are, are going to end. Uh, I think Penn State does have a better non-conference. I think Utah and Oregon are, are very good teams. I actually think Utah and Oregon would beat Penn State uh, for, for having watched them all a bunch this year for, for what it's worth. But Penn State has two good wins. I would say that Oregon has one in a good loss, just like Penn State does. And I think Utah is in need of a quality win. Um, and yeah, there's, you, you know, and the, Utah and Oregon, their best chance at a top 10 win is going to be against each other uh, at, the, at the end of the season. Now, you can argue they shouldn't be in the top 10 because they haven't beaten anyone else, but that's sort of the, na- the nature of this thing right now. And some of where the number four spot ends up ends up being a referendum on the Pac-12 which hasn't been good in past years. I think it's better. I think if you watch Oregon, they have a quarterback who could end up being the number one pick in the draft. They pass the eye test where they have almost uh, 200 starts combined amongst their offensive linemen. Uh, they're a little lacking in the skill and outside, but Oregon looks like a top five football team when you watch them right now. Utah, with their defensive line and offensive line, NFL guys who go through there drool over them. Utah looks like a top five team right now. You have been on the Justin Herbert train from the beginning. He does. Boy, he looks like the real deal. Hey, got to ask you about something entirely unrelated to college sports, but yesterday was the anniversary of the malice at the Palace. We were talking about it earlier in the program. What are your recollections of it? How it changed sports? And is that to you the quintessential, your favorite or, or at least most memorable sports brawl all time? Good question. I was in State College, Pennsylvania, uh, covering a Penn State game, which just tells you it was 15 years ago. I have no idea who they were playing. I was in that like dingy bar. Um, you know, I was in my my mid 20s at the time. Uh, I think it's the Ratskeller. Does that ring a bell at Penn yes, State, Ross? Yes, Central PA guy. So I'm in yes. the Ratskeller at Penn State. And, I, and you and... better have gotten you better have gotten a bucket of Rolling Rocks, okay? Because when you're <laughs> at the Ratskeller, you get a bucket of rocks, a box of rocks, Rolling Rocks. Yeah. So this is long enough ago where they're not even like flat screen HD TVs. They're like tube televisions at the Ratskeller because it's yeah, 15 years, yeah, 15 years old. And all of a sudden, like the highlights started playing and then they were playing and then they were playing and you couldn't stop watching it because it's like a two and a half minute brawl. But a two and a half minute fight is like a half an hour of real time. And I'll just never forget the entire Ratskeller, like, uh, you know, on the Friday before what was like very likely a very big, important home game, just transfixed, staring at the television. Like people couldn't look away. Um, you know, they're caught into different things, are testing the stands. Like it was, yeah, it was definitely a, a seminal, uh, a seminal sports moment. Um, I've never ranked my brawls, Dave. I've never uh, really done that, so I'd have to put a little bit more thought into 
to whether it's a favorite, but it's certainly one seared into my memory that there's not a lot of things from 2004, I guess, where I can tell you exactly where I was and what I was doing when something happened. All right, Pete Dammel, Yahoo Sports. Follow him at Pete Dammel and check out the Yahoo Sports College podcast. Dan Wetzel, Pete Dammel, and Pat Forty. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks for the time. Thanks, guys. Ross, I am curious. You're like when you think of a quintessential sports brawl, I actually would not have said the malice at the palace. Two come to mind. One being for some reason forever burned on my mind is Nolan Ryan, Robin Ventura. Ventura comes out to the mound and Nolan Ryan just beats the shit out of him, just owns him on the mound. And the other one is obvious. Uh, Red Sox, Yankees brawl, Jason Veritek. And one of the quintessential moments in that rivalry. So those are the two that actually stood out to me before I recalled the Malice in the Palace uh, anniversary. And you? You know what one jumps out to me just as we talk about it? And uh, obviously, I think Malice in the Palace is probably the most noteworthy. But I think it was the Knicks and the Heat. And it might have been like Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning. And I just remember Jeff Van Gundy hanging on to Alonzo Mourning's leg. (laughs) And he went up that high on Alonzo Mourning. Like, he was full height, was at Alonzo Mourning's, like, knee. And he's hanging on, like, my daughters hang on my legs as Mourning and Larry Johnson are, like, punching each other. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy's hanging on. And I just remember thinking, boy, that is pathetic. I would be so embarrassed. That's one that stands out to me. 1998. That was a good one. And one of the top 10, according to the, the lists that people like to put together. Another one between the Sox and Yankees was Pedro Martinez, Don Zimmer, old Don Zimmer, fat old Don Zimmer getting knocked over. A couple of Red Wings avalanche brawls as a guy who grew up in Colorado also stand out to me. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the malice was unique in, in how it involved the fans and how it probably change sports as we know it but i, I can't get i thought over. dave i thought i thought you were gonna hate my argument that it's not the worst thing in the world every 15 20 years but i think you kind of agree with me no because and, and we want to get into this next hour because i'm very uncomfortable with the current relationship between the fans and between athletes now i've said repeatedly that i fully back fans right to boo however much they want, no matter if it's their home team, away team, and to voice their displeasure on the radio. But the relationship has gotten way, way out of whack. So I do actually feel like you're right. Every once in a while, maybe a fan needs a beating. And the story we'll talk about next hour, and it has to do with college football, I think a fan ought to be arrested. Uh, Because, look, Miles Garrett a couple of weeks ago got punched in the face, sucker punched by a fan. And I know he's in the news for other reasons, but frankly, I think he should have beat the crap out of that fan. What happened in college football to the Penn State quarterback is far worse and I think should result in a fan being put in jail. We'll talk about that next hour. We'll also play you some sound that gives you reason to believe Colin Kaepernick may get signed by an NFL team in the next couple of weeks. A real hint about who it might be. We'll break it down next after a quick break here on Home and Home. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 